It's really good to be back with you guys. Jump back into the series. Um, I did. I did cut my hair. Okay, I was getting a lot of persecution from my hair, and I gave in and I said it's over. And by persecution, I mean headaches. Because, ladies, let me tell you, I now understand the struggle is real for you. Okay, pulling your hair back that much, you get some crazy headaches. So I had to cut it. The struggle is real. I appreciate the ladies in the house because you are true fighters and champions in the midst of hardship. Um, I was thinking about this, this this week. Actually, the title of my sermon tonight is The Struggle is Real. And ha- have you had a moment in your life where you're just like, the struggle is real? Like, whatever it is. My wife has these moments all the time. Like, um, she's, you know, she's half Peruvian, so she's got some Spanish in her, which means she tends to be a little dramatic. No offense. Um, but, like, my wife... My wife will, will have overreactions to normal things. For example, she will drop, she'll be like have a cup of water or something and drop it on the floor and be like, oh my God, this is, that was Satan. Satan is attacking our home. Like that, you know, like the struggle is real. I can't even do anything today. You know, I'm almost like, that wasn't Satan. That was you. You were clumsy and you knocked the water over. But it's like these dramatic like, like flip outs and, and just that feeling of like the struggle is real. And we all have that. We all have those moments. It could be over every, anything and everything, right? Like temptation to eat bad food that you know you shouldn't. Um, whatever it is, temptation to like someone you know you shouldn't. Some of you, I'm speaking to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, but for me, I had a moment this week where the struggle was real. And I was faced with the reality that I'm getting older. Yes, no, please don't say amen to that. Some of you have been trying to tell me this for years, and I've been denying it, been pushing it back. But I recently, this week, had a realization that I'm getting older, and this, it was a struggle is real moment in my life, all right? So Saturday, I'm home, not yesterday, the week before, I'm home with my daughter. It's just me and her, my, my wife and son were in Jersey. And, um, and I'm like, you know, let me be a good servant husband and go and clean the basement have some bonding time with my daughter, kind of kill two birds with one stone. And so I go down there, and I'm just picking up stuff. I'm not even picking up heavy stuff, just like toys. And all of a sudden, man, I can just start feeling my back. Like, some of you don't understand what that's like, because, again, you got a nice, young, fresh back. Okay? But I start feeling pain in my back. I'm like, oh, no. And this is when I start, my pride starts to come in. I'm like, no, you are not getting old. You will not have back pain. And so I'm just like, no, this is not happening. I'm pushing through. Like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And so I keep pushing. I keep picking up toys. I keep, and like, I'm getting lower and lower. Like, my back's hurting more and more. So finally, I'm like, you know what? Let me go upstairs. Let me get some Tylenol. So I go upstairs. I get Tylenol. By the time I come down, I can barely walk anymore. I kid you not. Like, I'm like, Charlie, you got to come upstairs. Like, Daddy needs a nap. <laughs> I cannot move. So I bring her upstairs. I just lay on the couch, put a heating pad on my back. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm feeling about, like, 60 years old. You know what I mean? But I'm hoping, like, all right, this will get better. This will be fine. And, uh, and so the day goes on. I literally cannot move. And my daughter, who is, who is two years old, is insane. Some of you know. You've seen her around. And so she's still, like, she doesn't have any respect for the struggle that I'm going through. So she's just running around the house, like, getting into everything. She, at one point, she's kind of on the verge of potty training. So at one point, she's like, Dad, I'm going to go upstairs and go to the bathroom. I, I stupidly am like, okay, because I'm trying to encourage potty training. But I can't get off the couch to go up and help her. So she crawls up the stairs with her cast on, 
goes into gets the the kid toilet and next thing i hear like five minutes later she's like dad i went caca Uh, i need your help i'm like oh my gosh all right so i roll so i like roll myself off the 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 couch i'm like oh god i crawl up the stairs i kid you not i crawl up the stairs when i get up there this is what i see a pile of poop in the sink Okay, in this, her diaper off, she's completely naked. The toilet's there with some, you know, some stuff going on. So she went in the toilet and then picked it up and put it in the sink and was proud of it at the same point. And I'm like, so now I can't walk. I've got to clean this up. I've got to get her back downstairs. I mean, if there was ever a moment for me to say the struggle is real, it was that Saturday. The struggle is real. How many of you guys know the struggle is real? Let me hear you say it. Amen. And you don't even know until you've picked poop up out of your sink. By the way, if some of you want to come over to my house, don't worry, I clean the sink, okay? Um, that's what I want to talk about tonight. The struggle's real. We're going we're gonna to continue this, this story in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 2, 11 through 21. We're going to read a story of Paul confronting Peter. Two pillars in the church and a confrontation. And, uh, and we're going to learn about one of the biggest struggles to us living out the gospel. So I'm going to read it with you guys and we're going to pray and we'll jump in to the real deal struggle that we all face. Here's what it says, Galatians 2. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray to their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, by the way, that's Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works in the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified by Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For I rebuild what I tore down. I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. I thank you for this group who you've brought together. I thank you for all those who are here. No matter where they're at in their faith journey, God, I just, I pray that tonight we'd open up our hearts to hear from you, that you would um, challenge us, encourage us. Um, Most of all, help us leave this place loving Jesus more than we came. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to talk about this passage, and this is a really interesting passage. The book of Galatians, as we know, is written by a guy named Paul, right? And in this passage, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Paul comes back from um, like 15 years of doing missionary work, and he comes back, and what he's facing is a group of Jews who are trying to add something to the gospel. They're saying it's Jesus, which is awesome, but it's also you got to follow the Jewish laws, and Paul kind of opposes them, but then he, he meets with leadership, 
one of them being Peter, and they're like, yeah, we're with you. We agree. The gospel's for the Gentiles. They don't have to be Jewish to be saved. And Paul's like, all right, that's awesome. Now, this week, we come to the section of passage where, where Paul comes, our, comes out, and he's, he's, throwing, he's throwing swings immediately. He starts off and talks about how he opposed Peter to his face. And he sets up this scenario, this confrontation between two church leaders, and he's challenging Peter because Peter is not living in line with the gospel. And tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about this idea because actually here at, here at Fusion, here's two things we hit on almost all the time, identity and mission. I believe every follower of Jesus and actually the entire Bible can be boiled down to those two things, identity and mission. Our identity, who we are in Christ and mission, what our life looks like, what we do for Christ. Mission flows out of identity. So Paul is confronting Peter because of these two reasons and how important that they are. And notice there's two functions to this, right? There's, there's your inner function. He goes, you're not living in line with the gospel. Like you're doing one thing, you're saying one thing, but then you do another around other people because you are afraid of what these people think. So he's like, your, your identity is at stake. Your identity is suffering here, but also your mission. You're missing out on reaching people because you've confused the gospel. And Paul sets up and he uses this very interesting language. He says, I posed him to his face for before certain men from James using with Gentiles and he drew back and he separated. And he said, the rest of them did it with him. Even Barnabas was led astray. And there's this language that he uses, which is all, the Greek is all about walking in line with the gospel. He says, you've stepped out of line of the gospel. And this is image, right, of imagine the gospel being the path, like the yellow brick road of um, the Wizard of Oz. Any fans? No. Great. You guys are too young. You probably don't even know what that movie is. Shame on you. Right? It's like the yellow brick road. And, and Paul's giving this image that the gospel's the yellow brick road. Our job is to stay on it. When we stay on it, it's good. But he's going, Peter, you've gotten off of it. You've gotten off the path. And he begins to call him out. And the reason why he's gotten off the path is because of this group of Jewish believers who were trying to add something to the gospel. And he goes, you were afraid of this group. You were afraid of risking approval. You wanted this group to approve you, and because you wanted their approval so much, you started walking out of line of the gospel. And it's interesting, as I was reading this and thinking about this this week, here's what I think. This is, this is such a pressing text because there is no more controlling factor in all of our lives than our need for approval. Like, the Bible tells us our biggest issue is that we don't believe the gospel. So when you sin, it's because you're not believing the gospel. When you are depressed, it's because you're not believing the gospel. When you, when you fall short in an area, when you're angry, when you don't treat Pastor Jared the way you should, I'm not gonna name names, Orion, right? It's because you're not believing the gospel. Like every, any issue that you have in your life, you can check it up to, I'm not believing the gospel. You are not believing that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. In fact, the very final two lines there says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we have issues in our life, it's because we don't believe that. That's the truth. All sin can be boiled down to that. And, and Paul is confronting Peter and he's going, the reason why you have lost sight of the gospel is because you wanted the approval of people. Your desire for approval, the idol of approval in your life has caused you to get out of line with the gospel. And it's so important because 
that affects who we are, our identity, but it also affects our mission. And so tonight I want to dive in a little bit deeper into this idea of approval. Because here's what I believe, like, it's, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to give a percentage, but I think the majority of people in the world, this could potentially be their number one issue that they struggle with. We are all designed for approval, therefore we all struggle with approval. And if we're not careful, we'll sacrifice the truth of the gospel to get approval in different ways. So I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. And, and in fact, I think I want to talk about three different areas that some of us look for approval because we all do it in different ways in different shapes and different sizes. And so we're going to talk about individuals, culture, and worldview. And the first thing is individuals. Now, um, I don't know if you guys realize this, but approval and acceptance is actually not a bad thing. Like we were actually made for that, right? We were designed for it. When God created Adam and Eve, we created Adam first in, in, in the, book of, uh, the book of Genesis, I almost said the book of Galatians. He's naming all this stuff and he's going, it is good, it is good, it is good. When he creates Adam, and that's the only thing he said, it wasn't good that man was alone, right? And then he creates Eve. There, we were designed to be in relationship, which means we were designed for the approval of God and each other. We were made for that. In the Trinity, the three parts of God they are approving and affirming of each other in a perfect way. And so when God creates us in his image, it means that very much a part of us, approval is not a bad thing. Here's what I want you to hear that. Approval is not a bad thing. Acceptance is not a bad thing. In fact, um, Keller puts it like this. We were made to be named by somebody else. We weren't made to name ourselves. That's how we were designed. That's how we're, so it's not a bad thing. It's the very uh, core of who we are. And part of the reason that we struggle with it so much is that it's because that's how we were made. But when it comes to relationships and individuals in our life, the problem is because we desire it so much, it gets distorted so easily. So whether it's being a, a child and feeling this overwhelming pressure to, um, to please your parent, right? Or whether it's being a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, a father, a coworker, a boss, whatever it is, we tend to use relationships in our life. And because we don't have our identity in the gospel in Christ, we start to misuse the relationships God's given us. And there's a couple ways I was thinking about this. I think what happens is either one of two things. We look to, give, we look to that person to give us what only Jesus can. And when we do, it actually creates an abuse of the relationship. And so two things happen. We either, we either crush the other person with our expectations of them, or we are crushed because they don't meet our expectations. And so the first one is, is sometimes we can crush people. Like you ever, you ever seen on TV or been around like these, these crazy moms? Maybe I should start with like some of you have that crazy mom who just had crazy expectations of you. Like the mom who wants their kid to be like uh, uh, the smartest um, kid in the world, like smarter than anybody else, you know, so it's like two years old and they've got them like doing math quizzes and, and, or the crazy dads like that have their kids at one years old, like training for sports in the backyard. They don't let them even eat or sleep until they like can do things. You know what I mean? Like these crazy, I think there's a TV show about that. Like these crazy parents have these expectations on their children. Right, and so they begin to crush their kids. Moms that have these expectations on their on on their kids, and they begin to smother their kids because their whole identity and their whole worth and their whole value is based on their kid looking right, doing right, acting right, being the good kid. Right, so their kid goes to church, and they're kind of you know the teenage years, they're kind of doing whatever they want, living crazy. This happened to me so many times as a youth pastor. 
parents would come up to me and be like, can you talk to my son or my daughter? They're smoking weed or their grades are bad. And I'm like, and what am I like, what am I going to do? It had nothing to do with Jesus. Like they could care less if their kids love Jesus. It was just like, can you get them to behave well and not, not sass me? You know what I mean? I'm like, they're a teenager. Like, what do you expect? But the, the, we look at our kids, right? These parents look at our kids and they have such expectations that they need their kids to fulfill something in them, their very identity that they end up smothering their kids. They feel like they're only, they only have value and worth as a mom or a dad if their kids are great. And what it is is an unhealthy expectation on that relationship. And oftentimes, and some of you may have experienced in your life, it pushes the child away, right? Because it just crushes the child. It can happen with a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Like you end up having such, you expect that person to provide you with something that only Jesus can provide you, and you end up crushing them. So they've got to be there at all times, right? They've got, to, they've got to call you back, text you back. They can never even talk to anybody else with the opposite sex because, because oh, God forbid, like, they'd be cheating on you. Like, all of a sudden, right, this person has to be the one to fulfill all this stuff in you. And if they ever are not perfect or ever don't do it right or ever don't respond the right way that you think and when you think, like, all of a sudden your world is crushed. God forbid they break up with you right, then life isn't even worth living. We, we can use, we can treat people in such a way that we crush them with our expectations. Why? Why is that? Because we're looking for them to give us what only Jesus can. We're not living in line with the gospel. But you know what else happens? Like oftentimes we can be crushed because these people that we want relationships with, and it could even be a friendship, like we overextend ourselves, we push ourselves, we expect something of them that they can't give. And the common reaction people is like, bro, I'm out of here. Like, you're kind of creepy. You know what I mean? Like, you're, 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 you're too much. Like, it's the kid with the parent or, 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 or the, the boyfriend or girlfriend who's like, can you not call me 25 times a day? Like, it's too much. Like, you know what I mean? That happens. And what happens is the people end up leaving and crushing us. It happens. Or we're so desperate for them that we end up being and doing things that we never thought we would in order to gain their approval. And before we know it, we're completely crushed with who we've become. Like how many people have given up parts of themselves? And I'm not just talking just sexually. Obviously, that's a big part, right? For relationships, they end up finding themselves left with feeling like they're nothing because they were so desperate for approval. We do it with relationships all the time. The truth is relationships are needed. They're important. Approvals and affirmations need important. But when we look at the relationships, the friendships that we have here, the relationship with our parents, like all of that, we have to ask ourselves, am I looking for something from this relationship that only Jesus can give me? Most of the time, a lot of times the answer is yes. So it happens individually, but it also happens, um, happens with culture. It was interesting, like, um, do you guys realize there's a cultural expectation of identity? Our culture, wherever culture you live in, has an expectation of what you should do, what your identity should look like. And oftentimes we're tempted to adopt that view out of a pressure to be approved by, by people in general. Um, media is a big part of this. Like, media tells you who you should be. I don't know if you realize it or not. In fact, most people don't realize it subconsciously. They have no idea. But media tells us who we should be. And it's, there's a dominant kind of message or narrative in media, right? I was just, I was just recently 
been watching the movie Frozen for the thousandth time. Um, yes, great movie, great movie until you've seen it hundreds of times. Um, but I'm watching that movie. Even in that movie, it's funny, you can pick out the cultural narratives of the time. It's like, you know, she's singing her song, Let It Go, and it's like, no right, no wrong. You know, it's basically kind of this idea of like, there is no right, there's no wrong, don't let any, like, everything's subjective. You just find the inner greatness in yourself and just be you and don't let anyone tell you. Like, that's our cultural narrative today. In ancient cultures, you know what the narrative was? The, the, the celebrated narrative of ancient cultures was, um, don't worry about your personal desires. Sacrifice your inner desires for the betterment of the community or your family or the culture you live in. Today, it's the opposite. It's like, screw the culture or the family or the community. Do what you want to do. You know, give the middle finger to your family and just follow your dreams. That's, that's the kind of thing that we celebrate now. And we see it all over in movies, in media, in songs, in all of that. We don't even realize, but all that stuff is speaking a cultural narrative of how we should live, where we should find our identity, what we should put our hope and trust in. It's all around us. That's our culture. What is super interesting is most of us are highly influenced by this, yet we don't ever even realize it, right? We, we look at... Um, we look at certain news channels or we watch certain shows and uh, listen to certain music and we think, we start to believe this, we start to walk in it without ever even realizing it. And the problem with that is, before you realize it, you're, you're thinking that you're an independent thinker, you think you're in line with the gospel, but you've gotten so far off the path, you're just doing what everything, everybody else and all that culture tells you to do, tells you to trust and tells you how to live. Um, I was, uh, I, I was, Listening to a, a talk by Keller, he talked about uh, doing a talk on identity, and he brought this example up. I thought it was good. He was like, you know, in today's culture, we think we're so independent, and we're, we're not doing what anybody tells us to do. He goes, but it's actually not true. We do exactly what culture tells us to do. And he gave an example. He goes, imagine an 18th, 18th century Saxon warrior, right? That's like they, their culture is all about rage and um, honor. You know, you got to honor somebody. Don't disrespect me. And so in that culture, like, Anger was a good thing. It was a celebrated thing. Rage was a good celebrated thing. Now imagine that same warrior also has a feeling of homosexuality. Now culture, his culture, tells him rage is a good thing. Homosexuality is a bad thing. So he chooses his identity, right? I'm a warrior. I'm going to suppress that homosexual feelings, but I'm going to encourage and enhance that feeling of rage and fighting because why? Culture tells him that's what he should do. Now, fast forward to modern day, right? And you, you've got a young guy who's living in Manhattan and he feels rage. What does he do? He goes and sees a therapist, right? Get this thing out of me. Like, tell me about my daddy issues. Like, but he feels homosexual feelings and what does he do? He's like, that's who I am. He picks it. But why does he pick one thing to be who he is over another? Why? It's not him. It's completely cultural. It's all about his culture. It's the influence culture has on him. So meanwhile, we're thinking that we're some independent, like free thinking, awesome person. And when in reality, we're simply walking in line with exactly what our culture tells us to do. You know what? One of the greatest skills and abilities that we all need to cultivate is a gospel lens is when we view things, like when we intake things, we have to view it through the gospel lens and not just see the gospel and stuff, but see counterfeit gospels. Like you should be able to watch movies and TV shows and listen to songs and go, ah, I see the thing that they're saying is where you should put your hope. 
Like I see, I see in this, in this form of media, this form of song, right? This is what they're saying you should put your hope in, but it's really not going to be found in there. If you can start viewing media in that way, you will start to see the gospel come alive in so many other ways. And more importantly, you actually protect your heart from being influenced without even realizing it. Man, we look, we are desperate for approval from culture. We don't want to be the Trump supporter at a Hillary rally. Am I right? Like, that's, that's the truth, right? We're desperate for approval. And if we're not careful, we will step out of line with the gospel in order to get culture to like us, in order to get culture to approve of us. The third and final way is this. It's our worldview. We're desperate for approval, and we look to our worldview to provide it. Do you realize that we, uh, we love to align ourselves with ideas? Every person does. Like, we tend to think... All of us tend to think that we're enlightened above others. Here's what I mean by that. You, everybody tends to think if everybody thought the way you did, the world would be a better place. We all do. Even if, even if you never realize that subconsciously, we tend to think if, if people, more people thought like I did or had the worldview that I did, maybe not acted like you, because some of you realize, like, I'm not perfect, but if people thought the same way I did, if they, if they believed and had the same worldview, like the idea, your worldview, like what, what is the problem with the world and what would be the remedy for the world, right? If everybody agreed with you, the world would be a better place. The problem is we all disagree about those, those very same things. And, and we, all, we all tend to think that. We all, we all believe that we kind of have objective truth, right? Like we know what's right. Even people that go, no, everybody's, everybody can, should just decide what's true for them. Well, that statement is a statement of objective truth. And they think if everybody thought like that, the world would be a better place. So we all do it. We all live there. And we all tend to attach ourselves with ideas or certain worldviews. And we, we, without realizing, become desperate to fit into these idea groups or these worldview groups. It could be political parties, right? We want to fit in with Democrats or with Anthony and his progressives and Bernie Sanders lovers, um, right? Or, or, or when we hang out, when we hang out in the South, like there's more pressure to fit in with Republicans. Like it can be political parties, right? It could be certain ideas of, uh, of economic policies. It could be certain sports teams. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've never been pressured to not root for the Patriots, but for some people, they would give into that temptation when they live in New York. But it could be pressure about any sort of idea, right? Any sort of thought, any sort of worldview that we align ourselves. And in fact, a lot of times it can be come down to religion. And in Christianity, this actually happens all the time. The problem with this, this way of living, right? Of finding your approval in a worldview or, or a certain idea is it always creates a self-righteousness. It always does. Because you think you have the remedy that everybody else needs. You think if everybody else was like you, the world would be better. So when you look at other people who aren't acting the way you think they should or aren't believing the things that you think they should or disagree with you, you automatically feel better than them. You feel superior to them. And that could be politically, right? But that could also be religiously. Even, even as an atheist, right? You could start to feel superior to those who have faith. All those, those kind of mindless, you know... They're nice people. They're cute, but they're, they're, they're not really thinking through the issues. We start to feel superior. But even as Christians and religious people, I remember, I remember I've gone through this kind of journey, and when I really started to understand the gospel, 
here's the irony of what happens. And if, you, if you've ever kind of gone through like a gospel transformation, like you've grown up in the church your whole life and it was all kind of moralism, but then you really started to understand who Jesus was, you'll understand what I'm talking about. When that first happened in my life, you know what, you know what happened to me? I became self-righteous towards other people who didn't understand the gospel. Which is ironic because the gospel tells us that we're humble and we, we're idiots, right? And God came and found us and we didn't do anything. But yet it created a self-righteous me. So I would start to listen to other people's sermons and I'd be like, mm, they really bombed that one. They totally missed Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, or, or you listen to other people talk and, and you're like, oh, that's moralism. They're just trying to get behave like a Christian. And it created a, a self-righteous arrogance in me where I felt superior to people religiously. And the whole time, the irony is, is that's not even the gospel. Like, the gospel creates humility. We're going to talk about that in a second, right? But this happens all over, guys. Man, we attach ourselves to ideas. And within religion, this is especially significant. So many Christians feel superior to people who are not Christians because they behave better than them. All over the place. And they look down upon them. And it's ironic because the heart of Christianity is the gospel, which creates humility. It says you're not saved because you're good, but yet we so easily forget that. We so easily walk outside of the, the lens of the gospel and we no longer love people because, why? Because we are desperate for the approval of others. So when we come into church, man, we want to fit in with people. Like We want other Christians to like us. I remember, the, I remember when this became a reality for me. I was a youth pastor and... My buddy, um, actually, some of you know, some of you know him and remember Dave Hurtwood came and did a training for us. And some of you were youth leaders at the time, right? And he, com he comes and he does this training and he, and he tells his story and he goes, you know, you've all had that like model youth, right? That's like on their crazy, like every youth group, they're like raising their hands. You're like, oh yes, that's, and as a youth pastor, you most of the time feel like a failure because most of the kids are, are cursing at you while you're, while you're speaking and playing on their phones. But this is one kid, you're like, yes, that's the kid. They go on every retreat. They're like, they're awesome. And then they go to college and they start wilding out. They're drinking, they're sleeping around. You're like, what happened? You know, and he's like, listen, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Their behavior changed, but their heart never did. They were desperate for approval. So when they went to church, how do you get approval from your youth pastor and youth leader? It's by being a good person, like by behaving right. You know what I mean? By doing, acting all the right ways. But then when you go away to college, that's not how you get approval from people. You get approval from people by doing all that stuff, by fitting in. He's like, so their behavior changed, but their heart never did. They were desperate for approval. I remember when he told that story, I was like, oh my goodness. Like I realized most of all of my pastoring was trying to change people's behavior when all the while so many of them were just desperate for approval. And I actually hadn't helped them. What else I realized is most of my ministry was my desperate attempt to gain approval from people and from religious groups and, and people that held similar ideas to me. Man, when you start to realize this, guys, how much your heart longs for this, you will see yourself doing it all the time. We're desperate for people to like us. We're desperate for, for people that share the same worldview to like us. We're desperate for culture to like us. We are desperate for approval. And in a way, we're made for it. So what's the solution? The solution is this. We actually do need approval. But we need approval that isn't counterfeit. And here's what I mean. Like, how do we have, how do we have real life-changing approval? Well, we know it's found in Jesus, but here's the two reasons why. The first is this. 
Approval, what matters with approval is the person giving the approval has to have the credentials to give it. And here's what I mean by that. If, if a bum off the street comes up to you who never, has never met you, right, and says, I just want to know, I just want you to know, you're like, you're an awesome dude. You're going to be like, hey, thanks, bro. Like, maybe that'll, like, pick you up for, like, 30 seconds. You know what I mean? Or you're going to be like, this guy's creepy. Let's get out of here quick. Throw your money at him and go. You know what I mean? Like, but if that comes, it's like, okay. Now, if the president of the United States comes up to you, right, and is like, hey, I just want to know, I just want you to know, like, you're amazing. Yeah, for some of you, that's not a good analogy right now. Um, but whoever your favorite president was, okay, um, <laughs> and says, you're awesome, like, it means more to you. Now imagine the person, whoever has the most credibility in your life, right? So the person that you love most, the person that knows you the most, right? Because sometimes people can say, like we've all been in those situations where someone's like, hey, you're really awesome. And you're like, bro, you don't even know me. You know what I mean? Like you're just saying that because that's the thing you have to say. Imagine the person that knows you the, the deepest and the truest, like, right? And, and, and maybe it's your parent or whatever. And they come up and are like, I want you to know, like, you're awesome, and I'm so proud of you. The credentials of the person matter. Someone can come and tell you you're good at science, but if they don't know anything about science, it doesn't mean a lot. But if the head of the science department comes and says you're really gifted, their credentials offer credence to their approval. Credentials matter. Now, here's the amazing thing about Jesus. When Jesus approves of us, and that's what the Bible says, the gospel says he came and took our place. He died for us. It was his ultimate sacrifice of approval. He gives approval to us. So now that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. His, his credentials are above any other credential. Now, if you're like, I don't really believe in God, just for a moment, imagine God exists. There is no one who has greater credentials than God. He's the creator of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. He made you and he knows you more than anybody. He knows every detail, every dark thought, secret, sin, struggle, every part of who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet he, who has the ultimate credentials, has given you approval. God bless you. That was a little scary. I'm not even going to lie. Sounded like a demon was coming out. <laughs> credentials matter man and Jesus right Jesus' approval of us he approves us even when we sneeze like that which is amazing <laughs> that's how much he loves us the second thing is this the second thing is this his approval is eternal see you know what the other problem with getting approval from somebody that has high credentials is it always wears out right it never lasts like earlier I was trying to teach Brian some some pickup lines, because brother needs some help with his game, and uh, and and I was you know I was married at twenty, so obviously I have had a little game in, in the day, and um, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. Yes, I was a freshman. I married a senior. That's that's true, Joe. Thank you. Um, and so we were, we were, I don't know where I was going with this. No, we were talking about, we were talking about pickup lines. But imagine, right, imagine you get approval from the most beautiful woman in the room. Imagine she even, she even marries you, like commits to spend the rest of her life with you. <laughs> Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The approval never lasts, even from your spouse, right? The approval never lasts. So they can say you're awesome 
in the morning, but by the nighttime, you need more of it. They can say you're awesome at night, but then you wake up the next day, you need more of it. Like, we all know this to be true. People could say you're awesome. People can say you're amazing. The people in life that you're most desperate for approval from them can give it to you, but guess what? It's never satisfying. Like, you always need more. When you're married in, in, or in any dating relationship, you can't be like, hey, what's up? I just want to let you know you're awesome once, and then that's good for the rest of your life. Like, no, it's an ongoing thing. Like, it never, ever lasts, which means we actually become a slave to it. You see what I'm saying? Unless we have approval from something that's eternal, from something that never ceases and never ends, we become a slave to every other kind of approval. The gospel is unique in that the approval from Christ is not only coming from someone with the highest credentials, the highest authority, who knows us the best, but it's approval, the only approval that actually is eternal. It never ceases, it never fades, it never ends. There's never a moment where we have to go back for more. Like it's always there. It's always, the only problem is us. It's not, it's not it. It's not Jesus. He's not the source of the approval. It's our ability to trust it and believe in it. How do we actually get out of this rat race of looking everywhere for approval? We got to remind ourselves of the approval that we already have in Christ. That's the only solution. That's why our biggest struggle is that we don't believe in the gospel. Your struggle is not that you're tempted by this or that. It's that you don't believe the gospel. You don't believe who Jesus is every single day. And we become desperate to gain approval from people, desperate to gain it from our culture as a whole, desperate to gain it from people with other worldviews or thoughts similar to ours. All the while, Jesus is standing there going, you already have what you're looking for. Man, Anthony, you can come. We're going to close now. Here's what I want to encourage you guys. This is... <laughs> Let's not encourage that. Let's not encourage that. That was weird, and I feel like some people are not going to come back to Fusion anymore because of that. Don't let that be a reflection. That man will not be allowed back in here. <laughs> as we're closing and, um, and Anthony plays something spiritual sounding in the background um, here, here's what I want to encourage you guys tonight in all seriousness in all seriousness all of us if, if we're honest with our hearts man our hearts are idle factories desperate for approval from people we worship it we become slaves to it. And right now, man, you, be, you may be a slave to an actual friendship, right? You may have such expectations and be looking to friends to provide you what only Jesus can. Right now, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe just the thought of a boyfriend or girlfriend, right? If I just had that person, they would give me everything I need. Could be a parental relationship. Could be a variety of relationships. Could be you aligning yourself with a certain worldview or certain uh, set of ideas, or maybe even it's the religious mindset, right? Like if I just act and behave a certain way, if I line myself up, then I'll get approval from the leaders in the church or or my Christian friends around me. Man, all of us are in this place where we're desperately struggling for approval, and I think we'd be wise tonight to heed the words of Paul and to challenge ourselves to say, Are we really living in line with the gospel? Can we remind our hearts that in Christ, we've been approved. You've been approved that on the cross, Jesus, 
who has the ultimate credentials, the creator of the universe, right? In all things, before all things, was Jesus. And yet on the cross, he declared his desperate love for you. He loves you more than anybody, like more than anything. He approves of you. You are worth something. You have value in the eyes of the creator of the universe. Man, that's amazing. And you also realize that because he overcame death, his approval isn't temporary, but it's eternal. That means there's never a moment where you have to wonder, does God really love me? Like, oh, I sinned, I messed up, I made a mistake, God doesn't love me anymore. No, no, no. His approval is eternal, right? His approval of you is based on the work of Jesus, which means it never stops. It means when you mess up, he still loves you. When you fall short, he still loves you. When you screw up, he still loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your thought process is, no matter what valley or pit in your life you're at, he still loves you. It is unbreakable. It's unceasing. It's unending. It's eternal. He's the one that has all the credentials, and he's the one that will last forever. Can we pray tonight that our hearts wouldn't chase counterfeit approval, but we would look and rest in the only approval that really matters? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you, you looked down on this group of people and you said at the top of your lungs that you desperately loved every single one of us. That the cross is the greatest love, love story ever written to humanity. It's the greatest sacrifice ever made. It's the greatest declaration of your affection and your approval to each of us. And I thank you that even when we doubt, even when we feel uh, insecure around others, even when we feel less than around others, even when we feel inadequate, even when we look to people to provide our value and worth, we look to them to compliment us and think that we're awesome. When we look to groups and culture and we say, man, I just want to fit in. I want to be thought of as different. I want to be approved by people. God, I pray that you would remind our hearts and speak to our hearts. We've been approved by you. We have the affection of the creator of the universe. Would you speak that to ourselves? And when we begin to, just like Peter, walk out of line of the gospel, Holy Spirit, remind us. Remind us to step back in line with the truth of the gospel. Help us to love Jesus more every day. In your name we pray. Amen.